everyone, I'm Emma, a certified dog trainer. And I'm Kirsten, a certified dog behavior consultant. And this is Dog Chats. Join us as we chat about dog behavior, having fun with your dogs, and building relationships. We will offer practical advice and a bit of humor. Hi everyone, welcome to episode 10. We are very excited to be interviewing Marion Fitzgibbon from Limerick Animal Welfare in Ireland today. This is a woman who's dedicated her life to animal welfare and rescue. She was a forerunner in the field of animal rescue at a time in Ireland when these programs were not even established yet. Today, she runs one of the largest animal rescue sanctuaries in Ireland and just happens to be in Limerick. Coincidentally, both Emma and I have family ties to this county. Marion's a fighter for animal rights, a champion for the underdog, and a humble hero who never ceases to continue battling for the welfare of all animals that need care and support. To learn more about Marion, I highly recommend the book Dogs of Avalon. It takes you behind the scenes to Greyhound Rescue, her journey of rescuing tigers and bears, and all of the help she gave to the community of the traveling people and other people in Ireland along the way. Dogs of Avalon by Laura Schinoni. It's a fabulous read. So here's the interview. Um, we hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Hi, Marion. Welcome to this episode of our podcast. We're so happy to have you with us. As most of you know, I am from Ireland and from Limerick, uh, close to where Limerick Animal Welfare Sanctuary is. And uh, Kirsten also has family in Tipperary, which is just the county over from there. So we have strong ties to the area, but we are so happy to be talking to Marion today and glad that she has taken some time out of her very busy schedule at the sanctuary today. It's snowing in Ireland at the moment. Uh, so she met her way out to the sanctuary just for us to have um, a talk about what's going on in Ireland in the rescue world. But first of all, I want to ask Marion some personal questions about her long life um, advocating for, <laughs> for animals. Um, so Marion, what were your first memories of your compassion uh, kicking in for animals? Well, I was born in County Limerick, in the countryside, really, in a small village. And my mother would never allow a dog in the house. And my father, oh, I don't remember him very well because he died when I was eight years old. But I believe he went shooting rabbits. And so really had no background at all in animal welfare. And But they would tell me, and I remember running and hiding in the orchard and climbing trees and covering my head when they were killing pigs in the farm, which was just about two fields away from our schoolhouse where I lived. They were mother and father were both school teachers. And uh, I remember being horrified even when I was five years old. I just couldn't, it just all seemed so wrong to me. I didn't really know why, but uh, I just couldn't bear it, you know. So anytime there was any kind of drowning of puppies or looking at horses in the rain and there were all these stories about me that I would get hysterical crying and wanted to bring them all in the house, all the animals. So I guess I don't know why I seem to always have a, a, a feeling that it was wrong to treat animals that way because they were mostly working animals. They were all really treated very badly, you know. So, Marion, what was happening in Limerick that inspired you to begin the rescuing of animals and finding them homes? Well, as I mentioned, my father died quite suddenly when I was eight years old. So we came to live in the city and we started going to 
convent school in the city and a whole new life really changed for us from the countryside. And, um, you know, this is how I arrived in Limerick. I like that very conscious, uh, you know, of the change in my lifestyle then, but I was only eight years old. So, uh, but I started to start feeding dogs that I saw in the street or in the schoolyard and bringing dogs home. When you were eight, when you my, were eight years old? Eight, eight nine, yeah. Wow. Any time I saw, there's a lot of stray dogs in the city, you know, even then. And so I always had a dog coming with me and my mother would, you know, she would take the dog and say, they're dirty, you can't have them in the house. And uh-huh. she would say, I gave that to a school teacher to get a good home. But because she was out all day working, she always said, we can't have a dog. So I never really had a dog. Mm-hmm. But I was always with feeding cats and dogs and birds and mm-hmm. uh, when I was little, you know. How did it start for you, you know, kind of being more organized and you found some other people that you started well, working you with? See, when, I, when I finished school and got to be an adult, uh, I left Limerick then. I went to live in Spokane, Spain and I lived there, did okay here and then I got a job there. So I lived in Spain in Seville, which I didn't see many street dogs there. I suppose Spain might have been great in the countryside, but where I lived, didn't see any stray animals. And then I was worked in the States. And of course, in New York, I was working between 5th and 6th Avenue. I didn't see any stray anything <laughs> around there. And I began to think maybe the world was a beautiful place for animals, maybe, you know? Yes. I don't know. I was young and I didn't think about it very much. Then I came home and I got married, didn't go back to the States and uh, lived in Dublin. And Dublin had a pretty good system. They had a good animal collection service and they had a dog and cat's home. So I lived quite happily there for until I was in my early 30s. I came to live in Limerick when my husband got came to work in Limerick. His job, he was transferred to Limerick. And then the trouble started. I could see so many street dogs in Limerick and... Uh, I had young children and I was driving them to school every day. So I was continually driving to the city and seeing these dogs and stopping and feeding them. And I didn't know what to do, you know, because I had three young children. But I used to go into the city at night and bring food in. So mm. I started feeding the dogs at night. And were and, there were uh, there particular areas, Marion, or you just kind of knew? Well, it would like be right at the main street. We had, you know, we had a big store and they had, a, at that time, the kind of alcoves in that weren't... Uh, they were open. They, you could, people used to window shop. Nobody had any money. So in every doorway, there were dogs at night, nearly maybe I think up to 15, 20 dogs every night or more. Yeah. So I, I met, then I met two other women in the street that were feeding dogs also. And then I began to bring them home. And we just started. There was one of the women had worked in a store in the city and she would bring dogs in there at night if they were, you know, really needed were sick and a lot of them were had skin problems and bites and mm-hmm. I was really bad you know so yeah. we started to do what we could on the street and then we after a couple of years we formed what we called the animal welfare circle with six of us and we got more organized then and we had about six people bringing dogs home to their homes were they all women oh this? absolutely yeah. yay for women all women <laughs> I just want to say that and, and we had two <laughs> two shops in the city one a dress shop and a shoe shop mm-hmm. and both of those women they took dogs in and held them in the stores during the day and we had like storerooms they held dogs in and like then we bought them we had dogs everywhere you know Marion how did you find homes for those dogs 
Well, you see, we were always on the street and we began to, um, we used to hold a sailor, like what we called a jumble sailor in mm-hmm. Ireland. And we had this old uh, hall where we'd, people would, like a sports hall, people would play badminton. And the guy who owned that would let us have it maybe once every three months. And we would just collect clothes and, you know, different things and have like, like almost like a car boat sail and this um in this hall yes. and the people began to come in and we would have coffee and people you know then everybody made cakes and cream and so people and we had a fire we could light there so a lot of people came in and just sat by the fire all day and while the sales were going on and we met ever so many people that way and people began to help us you know and say I could take a dog and it was all very informal at the beginning you know no insurance no regulations no nothing so I want I just want to put a little bit in there about that Marion is you know for people that might be listening to us that yes there there was this uh stuff going on in Limerick with all these strays but there also was part of the community that was really supportive and loved animals oh, yeah. and wanted to support you and yeah. and um rehome yeah, these from the dogs. very beginning yeah if they hadn't come I mean I think it was one pound to get in and you could have you drink coffee all day and eat uh-huh. cakes you know for one pound so <laughs> the best value in town and <laughs> It was a social gathering as well, you know. Yes. And we all sat around the fire, even when the sale, when everything was sold, we all had more coffee and more cakes, you know. Yes. And um, so it was, it was uh, and of course, people bought stray dogs in those days as well. But what made a big difference was finally um, Beverly Wolf. I met Beverly, and mm-hmm. she, um, you know, had a big house on the countryside. She was American, of course, and she actually was able to take in. About forty dogs. Yeah, so you had and a place so to house them. So she set up. She had all the yards, and we had an arena, sand arena, land, and uh, she offered that hold That's place wonderful. really. And yeah. so we walked out of Federal House then for seventeen years. Yeah, it all sort of came together. But it was just fantastic, and she'd been an AKC judge in the state, so she knew all about how a dog should look and how to treat all the different illnesses and how to train them. And she was just unbelievable. She made an enormous difference, you know, to what we were able to do. And then we also had room when we collected more funds. We rented kennels as well, you know. So we were... But it was always... We couldn't do much for the cats at that stage. Yes. And it was We started then um, an English woman, Christine Samways, Yes. She joined us. We were getting bigger and bigger as the time went on, you know, and we had to get more structural and all this. So uh, people didn't consider them as much a domestic pet. You know, this, of course, we always had cat lovers, but I mean, generally they weren't they weren't easy to home when we started out. People would always think, oh, well, I'll take a cat, I'll leave it in the yard. Nobody thought about having a cat indoors or mm-hmm. spending a lot of money on a cat. They were kind of semi-feral really you know it was quite unusual for someone to say oh well I have two cats as pets and they're on my bed at night oh gosh or (laughs) on the couch or inside or they might be jumping up on some surface that you might possibly want to eat from or they were a bit suspicious about them as well because they were because cats then they weren't worm dose they weren't vaccinated so Uh I mean a lot of them were ill and you know so basically they didn't think about spending going to a vet and spending money with veterinary treatment or anything. Cats just were supposed to survive. 
But see, Christine had come from the UK where cats were really treasured and she had so many house cats and she was a wonderful cat person. Yeah, yeah. And really people then began to go out to Christine and they saw, oh, you've got all these cats in the house and aren't they all fighting and would they bite you? And, you know, but really a bit like the greyhounds, people were so terrified of greyhounds. They, they didn't have an idea about a cat being a pet. They didn't think a cat could be like a dog or be cherished like a dog would be, you know, so... I just took more education. We have a lovely cattle in our course in the sanctuary here, and we have beautiful cats, and you know, so, we call me a huge number of cats. So we're going to get on to the sanctuary a little bit, just the history of Limerick Animal Welfare. Let's talk about the opening of the sanctuary and you getting that. Look at the smile. I know everybody can't see, but the smile that came on your face when you when I said opening the sanctuary. So was that a was big, a big day. Big and, I, day. and I'm glad that that um, I started to get to know you in 2005. So I I saw that yeah, transition. Yeah, we opened in 2007. Yeah, yeah. So I saw that transition from from uh, dogs being housed in, in different locations all yeah, over place, Cork, yeah. Limerick, um, to having this uh, beautiful space out in Kilfin and uh, that houses not only dogs now but tell us all the animals that you have at the sanctuary. Well we have cats of course huge uh, three buildings of two isolation buildings and a full home and building for cats and um, three areas for dogs as well and likely we have horses, goats and of course we've all hens and chickens uh, as well and uh, then not as much wildlife. We have some very good people about a couple of miles away, Animal Magic, that take in wildlife, but they're rather... How big is the property um, that you have Well, we now? only have seven. Uh, we have uh, uh, 25 acres. We have uh, 17 acres and uh, here where I'm sitting, where the buildings are, and across the road we have eight acres. So I, wa- I want to um, I want to give you a shout out to as for me I look at you as this this powerhouse that um, <laughs> said said I am going to build a sanctuary it is going yes. to happen um, yeah. it is it is there and uh, of all the organizations I just see you as saying we're doing it and it gets oh, yes. done well you had to because. If we waited till we had the money, we wouldn't ever have done anything. <laughs> but you see, there again, we had Beverly Wolf's husband, the long-suffering husband, like all the long-suffering husbands. <laughs> he uh, he decided to sell out the Fedemore house where we had the 40 dogs. Mm-hmm. And maybe if that hadn't happened, we always had this dream. We're going to build a sanctuary. Let's call it our field of dreams. We're going to buy a field. And, you know, we were going to do this, but there was never any money. But when Beverly sold out and left, then we were finished up in 2005 with five or six different properties rented, kennel space. And I was driving maybe two and a half hours between my most northern kennel and my most southern kennel, and even just to move two or three dogs. So, mm-hmm. I mean, we were lucky then that the fuel, petrol was cheap. But <laughs> as I say, it was so time consuming and it wasn't working. So, well, I had been looking for a site for two and a half years. It took me looking at every field and every old house and all around Limerick, looking for a, a, a site that would be suitable for a sanctuary here. Uh, and I had already been looking two and a half years for the 
site, the Greyhound Sanctuary of Avalon, you know, I had mm -hmm. already spent two and a half years looking for a site for that. So, I mean, really, I probably spent about five years driving around just looking at fields <laughs> and looking at old houses and none of them were suitable. And of course, we had a budget then as well. We were saving money, but we only had about about £80,000 and that was nothing. I mean, it was a lot of money then, but it wasn't enough. Mm -hmm. Finally, we only found this great sanctuary fields and place by accident. You know, we were coming through, just this time of year, we were coming through um, Kilfinnan because we'd been down and looking at a site a couple, about 10 miles down the road. I wasn't suitable. We drove in and there were houses all around. So we knew it wouldn't be suitable, too many buildings around. And on the way back, the gardener said, we we couldn't drive through this our little village here, Kilfinnan, only one street because the St. Patrick's Day Parade was going to come through. Oh. And we were diverted <laughs> we divert down this boreen. And it was lashing rain now. And we said, oh, my God, we had about five or six dogs in the car. So we said, well, we have to get somewhere we can let the dogs out if we're going to be an hour, an hour and a half <laughs> sitting by the park. I mean, I mean, the parade should be only, I would say, half an hour, just a few tractors and a few children in dan Irish dancing costumes, soaked to the skin, you know. But anyway, um, we went down this boreen and we just saw a farm for sale, a sign at the side of the road. So, God, we'll go down and have a look at it while we up the boreen here. And, of course, the minute I came up, I just knew. I said, this is it, you know. The girl that was with me, Neve, said, ah, oh, no, 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 wait. It's, it's, it's too much land. We'll never be able to buy it. The cottage had a tree growing up out of the roof. Oh, it did. It, was <laughs> it did, yeah. The roof had a hole in it. So, I mean, it was an absolute emergency. So you now have, um, you have a, a, a building for the dogs. You have a building for the cats. And for the longest time, you just had the one building. And then, and then you expanded and you have now a, a place for the cats, a place for the dogs. You have stables for the horses. Um, there's a rabbit. Many I don't think you mentioned there. rabbits, but you have a place for rabbits there as well. Yeah. Um, I'm inundated with rabbits at the minute. If I could send them all to America, I'd love to put <laughs> Let me tell you, there's, there's a lot of rabbits here too. <laughs> so. Because people took people who couldn't have dogs in during the lockdown for the COVID lockdown, they all got rabbits. And now they're all going back to work and they don't yeah. want the rabbits anymore. So he, so here's so. a question for you. Um, the shelters here, obviously, you know, every area has its problem um, with stray dogs and dogs that come in as surrenders. And we found here at the shelters, they seem to be super full right now with a lot of adolescent dogs. And the thought is maybe they were COVID puppies. And now, you know, whatever happened they ended up at the shelter are you seeing a lot of that there or just still the same mix as you were I'm before we're COVID? just seeing here we haven't we've room for cats at the minute because the cat season there's a lull now for about another two months until the kittens come last summer we never saw we had about 150 kittens during july june july and august we never had more kittens and uh, so we still have some kittens that are now you know, kitten cats to be home. The dog situation has never, There's. it's just absolutely critical. And I have so many lurchers and greyhounds and, you know, they're so difficult to home here. We hold them a long time and people are saying, have you not got any small dogs? And, you know, if you don't have small dogs, you don't get donations. People, you know, we're holding some of the greyhounds. I have a lurcher now. I have poor lurcher Kimmy. He was tied to our gate. We found him one morning when we came in 
and he had hardly any hair left on his body and he something had been in a fight or something half his jaw was damaged so his, his nose is a bit crooked Mm-hmm. And uh, the sweetest dog, he's a what we call a bullhound. There's probably is some kind of a bulldog into him because he's a square head. But he's a gentleman. He's so beautiful. He's about six or seven years old. Mm-hmm. And he's grown a lovely coat and he just sits. He thinks this is heaven because he never had a bed or he never Aww. had a meal. But we have him um, since last June. And he just sits there. He's Monica was his friend, and Monica got a home, and now he has another friend. But his friends, his companion that he lives with, you know, they get taken. So I have an appeal out now to Sweden. I have an appeal out to the UK. I'm hoping someone may be in Devon or Cornwall. Might take so that him. They have places there that take old dogs. Will take him maybe. Yeah. But I mean, he's just perfect. But he just doesn't look. You know, he wouldn't win any prizes for being cute or anything but yeah. I think he's lovely, he's lovely. Marion what could, what could our podcast listeners do to help support the sanctuary well of course the offer about money is what we need yes. yeah <laughs> right. I, uh, I'm trying to open a veterinary clinic I'm three years at it wow. so I have tried to knock a few walls and uh, because the regulations keep changing so now I have all the rooms ready but I have to fit it all out and it's very expensive equipment yeah. uh, so I need money for that I'm trying to open our own clinic here so I can at least spay and neuter our dogs and premises because yeah. uh, we just can't afford the private vets anymore in Ireland I don't know what it's like in the States um, we've um, like in the city now one company has come in and they've bought up six veterinary clinics in mm-hmm. the city so wherever we go, it's the same price. We just can't get a good price anymore. Yeah. And um, so, you know, it's it's getting impossible. The cost of everything has gone up about has gone you know, up, yeah. 100 fold, really. Yeah. And uh, so and these are like, we've such a huge list of things we have to do. So that, what's on your wish list, say, for the next, for the next well, two years I mean, to get your vet, vet well, clinic going? The trouble, the way we are here, I have a plan to finish the clinic, the veterinary clinic, but that's 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 the thoughts we put on hold, you know, while because another emergency will come on. Mm-hmm. I have to really refor- do some refurbishing now. When the weather improves, I have to do some refurbishing down in the oh, the first building we built, the old building, uh, the main which we call we, we, we the dogs for rehoming are down there now. We can only put fully vaccinated dogs in there now because it's not up to the standard for bringing the dogs off the street because of, of all the gravel and, it, it and just not stuff. it's not easy to disinfect it you know yeah, yeah. so but I need to spend money the next thing I'll probably do is uh, refurbishment of the old kennel the first one we built then mm-hmm. opened in 2007 yeah. that was the only building we had then just one building I know it, it, it. and we had 35 dogs yeah. and so like we've really I suppose gotten a bit too big for our boots maybe you know because it's so big now and still it's not big enough and but it's, it's needed I keep saying yeah uh, will we ever is it it'll always be a drop in the ocean you know but because we're the biggest uh, in the southwest I'd say the, where we take in more dogs than anybody else that mm-hmm. I know and people say why are your running costs so high but as I say our veterinary bills are because you know every animal that comes in of course has a veterinary something. bill whatever yeah, you look something, at you know something going and uh so, of course, we shouldn't be holding animals for months, and we do. We never put down a dog unless it's really ill or unless, uh, you know, we can't can't do something about it or we can't train it. But, I mean, 
we wouldn't put down two dogs in a year even, you know, they have to be uh, extreme cases. So uh, I suppose we're kind of trying to do the impossible really, you know. Yeah. And, so, uh, so here's a big question for you. In the future, how would you like to see animals taken care of in Ireland? Like what, what, what would be the dream? Obviously the dream situation for any rescue organization is almost to be put out of business, right? That, that you won't never be needed anymore, but we know that's never going to be yeah, the case. No, not going to happen, no. But what would, what would make, make it like laws that, you know, there's laws in place, but nobody does anything about them. Like, what would you see that you'd like to see in the future? To help animals, yeah. What well, we have a know? huge problem in Ireland with the puppy farms. I think you call them puppy mills. Mm -hmm. uh, so we have a situation here where local authorities, like our Limerick County Council, you'd be familiar with the, that term of the local authority. They are in charge of these awful puppy mills, and here in my sanctuary. We have to be very careful. We have environmental laws, which I believe, like all our effluent from the dogs and our drainage, everything has to be pristine. So we're, we're in compliance with all these strict regulations. But the puppy farmers, they just spread all their dog effluent and everything out on the land. And they're under a very old rule here in Ireland, which was a farm enterprise thing, where farmers were allowed breed puppies as a, an alternative enterprise to make more money. And so this ancient law, uh, these puppy farmer people work under, and they're not caught by the environmental controls. And they get uh, our dog wardens go around and they inspect these puppy farms. And they actually, you can't believe it, they give a license to these people to breed from 100 to 300 bitches. Wow. So they can have 100 to 300 breeding bitches, dogs, females, on the premises. And that's not counting the puppies and the male dogs. Jeez. And they breed them out of substandard buildings and they pollute the whole countryside around them and mm -hmm. they get away with it. And this is killing me in Ireland. It has to stop, you know. Uh, you can't. There must be regulation brought in for this. Then we have the greyhound ITB, the greyhound industry, breeding nonstop the greyhounds and getting all their bankruptcy and their bills paid for by the government. So there are two huge bodies that should be regulated, you know. Um, and even if we had regulations, I know we're poor about in, uh, enforcing. enforcing them. Mm -hmm. So there's so many things. We can't interfere with the greyhound industry. I make a complaint. They inspect themselves. Can't interfere with the dog breeders, the puppy farms because the county council send their own men out to inspect these places and very little is done. They might take 10 or 20 dogs out, but the others, they continue breeding. Yeah. And so these huge injustices that uh, Are still we need a change of government, I suppose, before anything will change. Will um, make that difference. Because we're picking up a lot of these dogs, you see, and there's no end to them. It's like the ocean. Marion, what changes have you seen since the 70s in terms of animal welfare in your community? A lot more support for us now. Like when we go out now to collect, or, you know, we don't do it that often now because of course we were locked down for three years with the COVID. But now that we're beginning to go back out in the streets again, I mean, um, there's great respect for us now. And we, as a, if we go to do a fundraiser or if some company comes in and raises money for charity, we'll be included. Now, when I started out animal welfare 
would never have been included. But now we, we get a lot of support now from Igual. Well, we always got support in Limerick, but generally support all around Ireland mm. for animal welfare would have been low. But it's it's popular now. And when um, people come down and, you know, they, they, they we, we are accepted. And so there's a place for animal welfare now, you know, and that is a big, a big improvement. And people sympathise with us. And any of the people that are working for animal welfare politically, they're very small groups and they don't, I mean, I know what it's like. You don't have any power. You go to a meeting, you only have three people and the big, uh, the big, uh, big political groups are still in charge. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And would you say and that, of course, that um, people's relationships with their pets have changed since the 70s? Would you see more caring? Oh, more... it has. I mean, cats are recognised now as being wonderful pets here, definitely in our area, definitely with no problem holding cats and people will give a donation for a cat. They won't give as much as they would for a dog, but they will give a donation for a cat. And uh, I would love to be able to expand here more. And I mean, it's lovely. The new buildings are all underfloor heating and light. And that's the one thing I always wanted for the animals. When I had the boarding kennels, they were dark, they had bars, they were cold. And I just couldn't bear it, you know. so I wanted to bring them all home and keep them warm. And like, you see, we our dogs go out for a walk, you know, they're running back up and, you know, they love the heat and we have such comfort for them. I know it's not like having their own special place, but at least there's no bars and, we, you know, they all can see out and there's plenty of light and heat and music and food. And I just want that for all the animals, you know. But <laughs> I know, uh, I guess we're... We want too much, but I want to raise all the standards. The people that come here say, oh, gosh, you got heating for the dogs. And say, yeah, and they kind of ask the question, you know, at least they come in and I suppose they think we're a bit eccentric, some people do. But um, when I was building this building, one of the builders said to me, is it a hotel you're building, you know? (laughs) In terms of the sanctuary, what's, if Emma and I raise some money for the vet clinic, how much more money do you need to raise? Well, if we had 10,000, it would be, I'd say we'd finish it for 10,000. You know, we have a good lot of the work done. All the all the, uh, the building is ready. We have the walls done and the floors and everything and the lighting and the electricity. We just have to fit out now equipment. Okay, so 10,000. Uh, 10,000. Was- because we've got to get, you know, operating theatre up and all the kennels in for Westover area. Then we have to have a preparation room as well. And the rooms are ready, but it's just to get all the stainless steel tables and and uh, sterilizing equipment. And oh, there's a big long list, really, you know. So about 10,000 for equipment, yeah. And that's in euros. And that's in euros. Yeah, 10,000 euros, yeah. 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 But I say Rome wasn't built in a day, you know. Um, So Geraldine is a lot younger than I am. So hopefully she'll be here. um, uh, Like if I... uh, like, I don't know what my son said to me the night, what's your plans, mom? He said, how long do you think you're going to live? You know, I said, well, I haven't had time to really think about it yet. But uh, <laughs> I said, I have no plan, really. It's just one day at a time, you know. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I I, uh, I have an idea we might see the clinic finished. All right. It's it's difficult. Well, Marion, we're going to let you go and get yourself home safely from the, in the snow. Well, oh it's God. lovely now. The evenings are getting brighter. This is my chauffeur. She's the driver. You yes, see. your, show, your chauffeur has turned up. Uh, <laughs> 
So I'm not gonna try, but I'm gonna check. So we just want to thank you very much for taking the time to talk about um, Limerick Animal Welfare. It's a pleasure, yeah. And great. We all lived in California and the sunshine. Yeah, and and I'm hoping to make a visit in September and hopefully see see you then. Um, I'm trying to convince Kirsten to come with me. But um, we have to persuade her, so maybe... Well, it... we should be advanced, more advanced in our mm. clinic by September, yeah. yeah. It's great, I mean, honestly, it's great that you keep uh, thinking about Limerick and don't put it out of your mind. I don't, I don't. Even time. even through COVID, I couldn't do the garage sale, so I did a, a training oh, I class. I, I, did a tra- I know. I did with all the Irish people, I did a training class <laughs> online because I was like, I got to do something. So, you know, I'm always thinking of something every year. And yeah. I suppose things happen. Have improved i think we're so close to the whole of it like we're probably you know when you're looking at something every day but when somebody goes away and comes back and they say gosh since i was here last you know that's great you've done this or that but we do i just come down i see all the things i need to do rather than see then yes uh, but I want you and to. I want you to be really proud of yourself, Marion. And this is. I'm getting a little teary eyed now. Oh, for because God's sake, you honey. have you've accomplished so much, and you've given back so much to the community, um, and for animal welfare in the area. And everybody that works with you. I mean, like everybody has has put in their put their um souls into it and just to see the difference you make i want well, i want to acknowledge that i'm saying it's because we admire marion so much we do this work and i often say to marion look around and see what you have achieved you know yes. it's just wonderful yes but she doesn't take any praise she just no. looks at the next hurdle <laughs> it's never enough it's never good enough you know but, but i suppose it never will be yeah but you have to look at the change so yeah look at look at the yeah. change you've med even like individual yeah, dogs yeah. like you know those of us that have worked in rescue you have to think about i helped that dog i helped that cat you yes. know what i mean you have to look at that but your your numbers are so big um and the change that's you've why made. i really feel you know i feel that we need to tackle if we were political and we had the time we need lobby groups really that just lobby the government and lobby for change and that's what makes me feel good is to see young people like that coming forward educated and able to fight at the where we need to be fighting see we're out picking up every day we're really not changing the legislation and um by 10 more lives i suppose i would be uh trying to hammer away at that because that's where we have to have the change of the law yeah you have to stop this uh uh, and I won't even talk about the farm animals. They break yeah, my heart. Yeah, and yeah. Can't a, do anything. But you know, you have made change, both of you. Honestly, I'm glad that I'm glad yeah. you're here too, Geraldine, because you you Thank do so you. much for the organisation as well. Lovely to see you, and yeah. you too. And, and I look Thank forward you. to seeing you in um, September. Well, take care so, of yourself. Uh, yeah. Thanks very much. Thank and you so much, Marion, for taking the time. Yeah. All right. Thank you. If you'd like to learn more about Limerick Animal Welfare, you can find them at www.limerickanimalwelfare.com or on Facebook and Instagram at Limerick Animal Welfare. If you'd like to make a donation to Limerick Animal Welfare to help them build their veterinary clinic, please check the show notes listed in the episode description or go directly to their website. Thanks for tuning in today and hope you'll join us for our next episode. You can reach Emma at ecdogtraining.com or on Instagram at ecdog underscore training and Kirsten at kwhappydogs.com or on Facebook at kwhappydogs. Don't forget to hit subscribe. See you next time.